1: Hello and welcome. I'm Pat Rulo, the voice for patient safety, where each week we delve into little known healthcare and hospital hazards, as well as other fringe topics that affect your health and well being. I'm so happy you've taken the time to join me, and today I have lots to share with you. So let's dig right in, shall we? I have lots on my mind today and a guest later in the show whom I interviewed many years ago. She has since passed away, but our conversation is still quite relevant given the news story I read out of Detroit last week about filthy surgical instruments. So, let's get started. A little girl, Kalia Hull-Mason was seven months old when a soiled instrument complicated surgery to fix life-threatening heart defects. She came to Michigan Children's Hospital on January 22nd of 2015 for an operation to partially repair a combination of four heart abnormalities that prevents adequate circulation of oxygen-rich blood. And as her relatives worried in the waiting room, She was put under anesthesia, and her breastbone was cut open. A team led by chief cardiologist Dr. Henry Walters III tried to connect her to a bypass machine to keep blood flowing during the operation. The operation stopped, though, when a suction tube needed to draw blood from Kalaya appeared to be clogged. And when a technician moved the instrument away from her exposed heart, And inserted a wire into the tubes narrow opening and here it is in quotes copious amounts of a dark black substance came out of the instrument according to hospital records it was blood from a previous patient it had remained in the tube following sterilization records show the early morning surgery which was supposed to last three hours stretched into the afternoon It was successfully completed after Dr. Walters and staff covered Kalia's heart, dismantled the bypass machine and surgical drapes, and then rebuilt the sterile field. After the operation, an x-ray was taken to ensure no instruments, sponges, or needles were lost. The incident posed significant risk to the girl, according to a hospital report. We were led to believe everything was okay, said her father. It's scary to think what could have happened. Hospital records obtained by the news indicated that the infant's parents were informed of the complication. But the parents told the news a different story. They said they were never told someone else's blood came out of the tube. Both said they were unaware of any surgery problems until the news contacted them. (laughs) And at that Detroit Medical Center, The news reported the findings were not contradicted by the hospital administrators, who acknowledged there are problems to fix, that among other things, surgeries were canceled because of unsterile instruments. More than 200 pages of internal emails and reports indicate that surgeons and staffers have complained for at least 11 years. 11 years about improperly cleaned, broken, and missing instruments. The records show improperly sterilized tools, complicated operations, from appendectomies and brain surgeries to cleft palate repair and spinal fusions. Patients were kept under anesthesia for up to an hour as staffers replaced instruments. And dozens of operations were canceled at the last minute, some after anesthesia was administered. The paper also notes, in hospital records kept from the public that the internal reports and emails are not made public and were cloaked in secrecy by Michigan law. Well, doctors are concerned because old blood and bone, even when sterilized, are biohazards that can trigger infection, septic shock, and even death if they come into contact with patients. And there's more. This was not an isolated incident. The Veterans Administration Ann Arbor Healthcare System voluntarily shut its operating room brought in national experts, and transferred heart surgeries to the University of Michigan Health System after finding particles on instrument trays. Seattle Children's Hospital announced as many as 12,000 children treated at its Bellevue Clinic and Surgery Center since 2010 may have come in contact with improperly cleaned instruments. Those instruments were sterilized, but some may have been contaminated with tiny bits of blood and bone due to improper washing the Department of Veteran Affairs admitted that 10,737 veterans in Florida, Tennessee, and Georgia were given endoscopies or colonoscopies between 2002 and 2009 with scopes that may have been improperly cleaned. Some of those patients later tested positive for HIV, hepatitis C, and hepatitis B. Mike Duggan of the Detroit Medical Center consolidated the three sterile processing departments at the Detroit Medical Center Hospitals, and he said it's a perfect storm. High volume, high patient acuity, entry-level, low-paid staff who are not self-governing, and no sustained support from admin, all with unions fighting amongst themselves. And to be fair to hospitals and medical facilities, and just by the way, dental offices too, some of the problem lies with the actual design of the instruments rendering them almost impossible to clean completely. Theoretically, if a device is truly impossible to clean, it should never end up on a hospital shelf. The FDA, as part of its medical device clearance process, requires device manufacturers to verify that their cleaning instructions are effective. Few in the industry, however, believe the regulation works. Instead of testing their tools in the real world of hospitals, industry veterans say Manufacturers usually hire independent labs to evaluate their cleaning instructions under perfect conditions. (laughs) And once again, so much for the FDA doing anything to protect the public. But the real struggle lies with poorly paid hospital employees who clean and sterilize devices between procedures, often under pressure from nurses and surgeons who need the devices quickly for the next operation. Oh, and then there's this little gem out of Duke Health Raleigh Hospital in Durham Regional Hospital, where nearly 4,000 patients learned that for two months, their surgeons had unknowingly used instruments washed in hydraulic fluid. How did this happen? Elevator workers drained hydraulic fluid into empty soap containers and capped them without changing the labels. Now, There's little data on how hydraulic fluids, which are made up of many kinds of chemicals that are used in cars, industrial machinery, and airplanes, can affect humans. But clearly, it's pretty toxic stuff. So how amazingly frightening is this? And why don't you hear about these things? Well, it's easier for the public to research restaurants than hospitals. Or think about the airline industry. Imagine a jumbo jet crashing due to a mechanical problem. Would it be right to withhold the name of the airline or the manufacturer of the jet from the public? I don't think so, and we wouldn't accept that. People are trusting their lives to hospitals and deserve all of the information available about how that hospital is doing. In fact, a lot of people don't even recognize the differences in hospitals and certainly don't recognize what a big problem patient safety is and the prevalence of medical errors that are happening. Thankfully, you do, because you're listening to this program. And complaints about hospitals aren't made public until they're investigated by the state and then result in a formal plan to fix the problem, a process that can take months. Meantime, other people are being harmed. Complaints about doctors are private until they're disciplined or fined by the State Department of Licensing and Regulatory Affairs. And then there are the patient safety resources that allow the consumer to compare hospitals online but there are big problems with that. First, these sites don't take healthcare literacy into account and often are difficult to decipher, basically rendering them useless. And worse, hospital response is entirely voluntary. Some hospitals simply don't respond. Right, like Detroit Medical Center is going to voluntarily share the fact that they are canceling surgeries right and left for years due to dirty instruments? (laughs) I don't think so. So what can you do if you fear that you've been exposed? Remember, doctors and hospitals are not required to tell you if you are exposed to improperly cleaned instruments. So go back and ask if you have any questions. Ask the doctor who performed the procedure. And if you suspect an exposure led to a serious illness or even death, you can have the hospital administration review it as a sentinel event, a preventable occurrence that resulted in serious harm. So if you have loved ones that perhaps died due to something that just kind of rings your bell the wrong way, you might want to look into that. Or call your hospital's medical records office and ask to review your case file. You definitely have the legal right to a copy of your medical records. And maybe most importantly, have this conversation with your doctor, your surgeon, medical team, and your dentist prior to any surgery. Let them know that you understand the potential hazards of unclean instruments. Ask them for reassurance that everything that comes in contact with you is sterile by the most strictest of standards. And you might want to ask if the instruments being used are so intricate as to leave them at risk for not being completely clean. Let them know that you are concerned. And no, it's not weird or rude to talk about this. After what you've heard from me today, It's smart. So remember, the name of this program is the name of this program for a reason. You have to speak up and stay alive.
0: Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up and Stay Alive radio. Stay safe from little-known healthcare and hospital hazards. To learn more, go to speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com.
1: Today, we've been talking about the sterile processing of surgical instruments used in healthcare, or perhaps I should say the lack of sterile processing. And I shared some horrific yet true stories. And now to further that, I want to share an interview from several years ago with a guest who many leaders in the healthcare arena know as Michelle DeMeo. At 40 years of age, Michelle was considered a national expert on sterile processing best practices and has been consulted by healthcare systems, the United States military, professional associations, medical device manufacturers, and magazine editors for her vast knowledge on these subjects. She has also been awarded the top 25 who's who in the United States for infection prevention. She was actively dying during our conversation, so you may hear that on occasion she she kind of gasps for breath. She passed away in 2014 of Lou Gehrig's disease and of cancer, but her message is just as important and relevant as the day she and I first spoke. And given today's topic of dirty and dangerous surgical instruments, I felt it important to hear her voice and message once again. So, here we go. We talk a lot on this show about hospital-acquired infections, about proper hand-washing and glove protocol, but we don't typically think, oh, I wonder if the surgeon's tools are clean. So, Michelle, who is responsible for cleaning and sterilizing surgical equipment in the hospital?
2: These are not licensed individuals usually. Many states have some certified technicians but most are individuals who apply for a job entry level, it's considered, um, at a hospital and are hired
1: and learn on the job. And is there a different group of people that are used to clean and sterilize equipment in a doctor's office? Who does that?
2: Well, you know, in every setting, it's a little bit differently. Um, unfortunately, in doctor's offices, is that there's even less training doctors are trained to treat patients not necessarily the means to handle the instrumentation that they need to care for them best so practices whether it's in a hospital in a clinic or a doctor's office is often handed down from individual to individual whether or not the practice is correct uh, there is very little information that is current in terms of technique or resources that are available for people in physician offices to refer to when they have questions, they usually will call a local hospital and ask for advice.
1: Hmm. So then what about blood pressure cuffs and stethoscopes? Is there any danger of bacteria on those pieces of equipment? Oh, absolutely. You
2: know, you make a great point there. You know, items, anything that comes in contact with a patient needs to be handled as if it touched the worst type of bacteria. Because the truth of the matter is that you can't see germs right. the naked eye. Something can look clean. It, it can be harboring uh, horrible organisms. Things like stethoscopes and blood pressure cuffs should at minimum be low-level disinfected after every use. It's a very hard thing to accomplish. This is something hospitals don't want to hear. One of my suggestions for facilities when I enter them is consider it part of a standard protocol to clean these items, at least the blood pressure cuffs, that usually stay in the room in, in a lot of facilities as part of the general room cleaning after a patient is discharged. And at the very least, wipe it down with an appropriate uh, disinfectant after every patient use,
1: well, I'm going to talk a little later on what patients should be concerned about, but I want to stick with equipment right here. Wh- what other pieces of equipment are the most dangerous when it comes to harmful bacteria in the hospitals or out?
2: That's a very difficult question to answer because it really depends on the patient that comes or the person it comes in contact with. Mm-hmm. You might have one type of organism that may not harm a certain group of people, but you have a relatively healthy individual that happens to be susceptible to a certain type of bacteria and they're exposed to it and now they become sick from it. But, but to answer your question, the most dangerous are those that can't be easily cleaned that have a lot of crevices, Mm -hmm. that are placed in areas where people are very ill and likely to be touched or handled by people caring for those individuals, such as IV pumps, feeding pumps, blood pressure machinery. These items really do need to be cleaned after every use. And what I have seen is that there's not enough of these Types of pieces of equipment in hospitals. So individuals, whether they be nurses or aides, will run from room to room and take what they need and bring it to the next room without wiping it down. And every piece of equipment needs to be handled after use before it's introduced to a new patient. I hope that answers your question. The bottom line is anything that touches a patient needs to be cleaned, anything.
1: So Michelle, what background and training is required by the staff in order to clean and sterilize equipment? Are there any state or federal requirements?
2: No federal requirements. And it's up to the individual hospital uh, in each of the other states as to whether or not they personally, under policy versus regulation, um, decide whether or not Technicians need to be certified. Well, especially since in most states it's required for a license to be a dog groomer or a manicurist, but it's not required to process surgical instrumentation.
1: So I'm going to ask you the obvious question here now that you're saying that. Should patients be concerned about this?
2: They should be. Yeah. Uh, they need to be ad- advocates for themselves. The best advice I can give to someone is to always remember that you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. So when you enter a hospital, be cognizant of the fact that you are in an, envi- are in an environment that harbors very ill people and wash your hands.
1: Thank you. careful uh, what you touch. Right. Should patients ask questions before the equipment is used on them? They certainly should. Has this been cleaned? Did you wear gloves before
2: bringing this into the room? If someone goes to touch you and to perform a procedure and they don't have gloves, ask them, did you wash your hands and I notice you don't have gloves. Is there a reason why? I think we've become uncomfortable asking these questions because we assume that doctors and nurses and technicians know best. And who is to question a doctor? You know, what right do I have to question a doctor? You have every right. You're a consumer. And if we bring this back to a level that you are paying for a service to be, and you're paying a high price, mind you, for a service, you deserve the safest, best service possible to keep you as safe as possible.
1: Well, it sounds like there's a lot of room for error here. What can we as patients or the general population do to ensure that we stay safe?
2: What you can do is ask questions. Even if you're a family physician, uh, when you go in for routine checkups, ask, what hospitals do you use and why do you use them? Do you know who sterilizes your instruments? Are they using current standards? Does the doctor even know what standard sterile processing needs to follow? These are things that are important. If the physician is aware and has an understanding that it's more than just washing quote-unquote dishes, Mm -hmm. then the likelihood that funds will be made available to provide education and hire quality individuals to be performing these very complex tasks becomes more likely.
1: Well Michelle, we could probably spend the rest of the day speaking about this because there's so much to talk about. Well as we wrap up today, Michelle do you have any final words of advice for us?
2: I, I do. I ask that you take your life very seriously and don't make assumptions that you will be here for another 5, 10, 15 or 20 years. Don't make that assumption. Use the time that you have well. Take your health very seriously. And question, question what goes on around you, especially health care related. You have a right to have a safe environment. You have a right to live a long life and not have it be shortened by others'
1: mistakes. Very profound advice, Michelle. And I thank you so much for taking the time to share your expertise with us today. And my very, very best to you, my friend.
2: Thank you very much
0: thrilled to, to be a part of your, uh, your show. Hot, 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 hot. Bring the heat. Want even more information? Purchase a copy of Pat's book at speakupandstayalive.com. Once again, it's speakupandstayalive.com. Or you can call Pat at 440-725-5462.
3: Hi there. I'm Gina Murphy-Darling, the host of Mrs. Green's World, and I personally invite you to become a part of our movement. We show up every day to help create the change we wish to see because we care deeply about this great planet of ours. The guests I interview inspire ways of living that are healthy, sustainable, and socially just. We discuss real issues by leveraging experts and science to get trustworthy information. Please visit our website at mrsgreensworld.com to learn more and to become a part of our world. Hi, I'm Jana Panaritas, host of the AgeWise podcast and a caregiver for my aging mom. Do you mind telling us how old you are, mom? I do mind. I would say forget it. Yep, that's my mom. Many of the guests on my show are caregivers who sometimes get into arguments with their loved ones. That's why it's important to talk with each other about what you're feeling. Mom and I do this a lot, but we didn't used to. Because after my father died, she was so devastated by her loss, she could barely speak. The biggest shock of my life was when he died. Listeners have told me they appreciate hearing from caregivers on the show because it helps them to know they're not alone. Join me each week at SpeakUpTalkRadio.com for caregiving stories that will help you feel less alone. To learn more about the show, visit agewise.com. That's a g e w y dot Are you enjoying your life right now, Mom?
1: Very much. I want to live forever. <laughs> Are you in the market to purchase a home? Are you thinking of selling yours? Well, I've personally worked with the McCaskey team. 440 773 5542 or visit their website dot com. are you or someone you know getting married well come meet me at the Chesterland Bridal Fair when on Saturday March the 9th 2019 Saturday March 9th at Guido's generation Event Center It's also known as Guido's Pizza on the corner of Mayfield Road, 322, and Chillicothe, 306, right at the intersection of 322 and 306. At Guido's Pizzeria, it's a restaurant. It's also called Guido's Generation Center. The address is 12809, 12809 Chillicothe Road. That's in Chesterland. The zip code is 44026. And it will be from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. So from 11 to 3, Saturday, March 9th, at Guido's in Chesterlin. I will be showcasing our wedding essential line of functional favors, essential oils that are perfect gifts to give to those in the bridal party and to those who attend the wedding. I have rollerballs and sprays in oh so many delicious scents. And of course, they are 100% organic. So come and join us to explore the experts in the local area who will be offering services and products to make your wedding day uniquely yours and enter to win a raffle basket full of gifts and products from local merchants. Enjoy complimentary food and beverages, too. And if you know anything about Guido's in Chesterlin, you already know how amazing their food is. Guido's, corner of Route 322 and 306 in Chesterlin. So come by and see me. That's Saturday, March 9th, from 11 to 3. Then, on Friday evening, March 22nd, Friday evening, March the 22nd, head out to the Artisan's Corner Gallery in Newbury, Ohio, and that is Route 87 and Auburn Road. Route 87 and Auburn Road in Newbury. At 7 o'clock sharp, I will be giving a presentation on how to survive a health encounter or a hospital stay And at that event, I will have some special essential oils that can help with MRSA, pain, anxiety, sleep issues, and more. So I'd love to see you there. There's going to be complimentary food and beverages there as well. So make an evening of it. Friday, March the 22nd. Be there right at 7. Artisan's Corner Gallery in Newbury. It'll run from 7 to 8. The gallery's awesome. So many beautiful pieces of local artwork. You'll be quite impressed. March 22nd, Friday evening, 7 to 8. And I look forward to seeing you there. If you have any questions about either one of those events, feel free to give me a call. 440-725-5462. That is 440-725-5462. Not often do I have some public events, so please join me. Well, there you have it. Lots to think about and plenty to share with others. And to do so, simply head over to the website speakupandstayalive.com where you can listen to today's show again and hear previous episodes all under the radio archives button. And while you're there, visit the shop page to get a copy of the life-saving book Speak Up and Stay Alive, Your Hospital Survival Guide. Now, if you're in the Cleveland, Ohio area, Listen to the show every Saturday morning at 9 o'clock on WHKW, AM 1220, as well as on WHKZ, AM 1440. And tune in again every Sunday evening at 6 o'clock. Same show, but on WHK, AM 1420. We're also on iTunes, iHeartRadio, SpeakUpTalkRadio.com, and about 50 additional online venues. So, uh, no excuse to miss a single episode. And if you just need more of me, invite me to speak to your group, club, church, business, or hospital. My presentations are fun, fast-paced, informative, and life-saving. And I can guarantee this, no one falls asleep on my watch. Visit SpeakUpAndStayAlive.com for more information. Email me at pat at SpeakUpAndStayAlive.com or call me and leave a message on the radio studio line, 440-725-5462. That is 440-725-5462. Well, that is it for today. Until next time, I hope you have a healthy and a happy week. I am Pat Rulo, and I am the voice for informed choice.